So this is kind of strange. During the most merry time of year, there is a creature that lurks in the shadows, waiting to find out who's naughty and who's nice. Weird, right? Or maybe not. What do you think? Kind of strange? Or not at all? Hello, and welcome to Kind of Strange. I'm your host, Grace, and this is a place where you can get cozy, a little creeped out, and talk with me about things that are weird, unusual, spooky, and kind of strange. Imagine yourself on a cold winter's night. The moon is hidden behind a dark sky, and the only light comes from the fading fireplace as the hour hints towards midnight. Snow falls steadily, making it difficult to see anything that might be approaching under the mask of evening. Maybe you're in bed, covering your head with a blanket, or maybe you're already asleep, but that doesn't stop you from hearing the faint chime of bells in the distance. Only this sound is not the one that brings joy. Instead, a creeping sensation of dread starts to spread over your body as you hear the bells come closer, and with it, another noise. The sound of sticks rattling against one another. You hope you're not right, that it's not who you think it is, but you know it is. For just outside, with hooves covered in snow, stands a creature that is ready to find out who's been naughty and who's been nice. Welcome back to Kind of Strange. Happy December. I believe this will be coming out on December 1st, so happy December. I wanted to do an episode about something, I guess you could call it festive, and today I'm going to be talking about Krampus. So Krampus is a creature that is associated with different winter holidays, Christmas, just winter in general, and he's looked at as, you know, a bit of a monster. So today we're going to be diving into who Krampus is and where this idea of this creature came from. So what's interesting is I went into researching this episode not knowing a whole lot about Krampus, or so I thought. I knew the basics, but I figured I was going to discover a lot of things that I didn't know because I didn't know too much about Krampus. You know, I knew a decent amount, but I figured there was going to be a lot more to uncover when it came to Krampus and his origins. But I was actually kind of wrong. Krampus is still kind of a mystery to me, even after doing a lot of research for this episode. And it's not that he's just a mystery to me, it seems that his legend and his origins are kind of a mystery to most people, you know, if not all of us. (laughs) Sure, we kind of know where he came from, but there isn't a ton of information about him, and it's hard to pinpoint why he came around and when this happened. Which, that is the case for many supernatural creatures, you know, monsters, legends, folklore, things along those lines. Part of me, after doing some research, wonders if maybe the church just created him, but I don't think that's the full story, and we are going to get into that in today's episode. I think another reason I thought there was going to be, you know, this, like, plethora of information about Krampus is because he's quite popular today. You know, the Krampus in pop culture 10 years ago is very different than the Krampus in pop culture today. 
He's definitely made his way over to America. There's been movies made about him. I've seen several movies that have been made about Krampus or even more movies that include Krampus as part of the plot or as a character within the story, different books that talk about Krampus, you know, stickers, postcards. He's everywhere. Nowadays, he's mentioned regularly around the holiday season. You know, I just went on a haunted hayride back in October and there he was on the haunted hayride. They had this little, I guess you could call it like Christmas section. And there was a huge Krampus right in the middle of that, like super tall. I mean, he was center stage in that display. (laughs) Yeah, I see him everywhere. There's a lot of Krampus decor that's out nowadays for the holiday season. He's even popular in the spicy romantic realm of books. So an example that I just saw the other day when I was researching Krampus is a book called A Kiss from Krampus, an Erotic Christmas Tale. And tale is spelled (laughs) T-A-I-L. But his imagery is all over the place, and many people mention Krampus as part of their Christmas or holiday celebrations today. You know, it's just interesting because growing up, and even like I said 10-15 years ago, I feel like Krampus wasn't mentioned much at all. Yes, he was known about, but I don't remember hearing about Krampus at all during my childhood. Maybe some people did, but I do think that he's definitely grown in popularity today, and he's much more of a popular character or creature, you know, legend, lore, whatever you want to refer to him as, than he was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So what gives? Who is he, and why is he everywhere? So let me just give you an idea of what Krampus is in a nutshell, who Krampus is in a nutshell, if you've never heard of him before, or if you don't know much about him. He's often described as being half goat, half demon, or some people say devil, or even just half human. He typically has giant horns, like goat horns, a furry dark body, a beard, and a lot of times he's depicted with a long snake-like tongue. He has hooves, and sometimes it's, you know, two, other times it's one hoof and then one human foot, and it's said that he can be heard coming from a distance by the sound of his bells. Others say it's the sound of his chains. One of the most common things he carries seems to be birch sticks, or a sack, or a basket, and often that's thought to be to put children inside of and take them away, specifically naughty children. And he is said to have visited houses of children around the same time as St. Nicholas, except he wasn't there to bring joy and gifts or things like that. He had an affinity for punishing, again, naughty children. Sometimes his punishment wasn't so bad. You know, he would leave a bundle of sticks if a child had been naughty, as opposed to the child waking up and finding a gift. Other times it said that he would hit the children with these sticks. And even worse, like I said, he would put the children into the sack that he carried on his back and take it with him, whether it be to throw them into a stream or to his creepy home, wherever that is, or a lot of people think to the underworld with him or, you know, to hell. So we will get into Krampus more as we go along in the episode. There's a few other things I want to get into that give more information behind this whole entire idea of Krampus and just these creatures and monsters, demons, whatever you want to refer to them as in general. But all of this just makes me wonder, why is Christmas time so associated with whether children have been good or bad? And it's usually, the focus is usually on children, not just people in general. Even though if somebody is celebrating Christmas, typically there's an exchanging of gifts, but a lot of times there's this heavy focus on children needing to be nice and not naughty. 
you know, there's Santa's naughty and nice list, there's elves on the shelves, and then we have Krampus, and there's many other creatures as well, uh, lots of other legends of different figures in, you know, lore history that would come around Christmas time. And basically, Christmas throughout history is almost like a judgment day for children. You know, have you been naughty? Have you been nice? And what consequences will you get based on your behavior throughout the year? But yeah, I don't really get the fixation with this side of it. I get it in a way. It's a way to, I guess, keep children in line, but only for this time of year, really. But it almost seems to just be like over the top. <laughs> um, that's just my opinion. I remember loving, I don't know if anybody out there has seen Desperate Housewives. I watched that. It was a while ago, but... The show follows four different women that are like the four main characters, and one of them has a bunch of kids, Lynette. I think she has like twin boys, maybe even triplets. I can't remember. I haven't seen it in a while. And one of the first episodes, she's just like overwhelmed because her, I think she has all sons, and she's just overwhelmed because her kids are just off the walls. They're wild, and in order to rein them in, she bends down, and she's like, okay, I'm making the phone call, and she calls Santa, and the boys instantly are like, you know, behaving, listening to her, and following whatever it is that she wanted them to do. And I always thought that was funny and smart on her behalf. But it is interesting that such a huge part of this Christmas holiday focuses in on whether children have been good or bad, and I don't know. I just, I don't think it's, like, completely necessary. I think a lot of these things are fun, like elves on the shelves and stuff like that. I think it's a fun thing to include in holiday celebrations, but yeah. Anyways, I still do find Krampus very interesting, um, don't get me wrong. I just was like thinking about that when I was doing this episode, and if you have any thoughts on that whole element of the Christmas celebrations, I would love to hear them, so let me know. So when you look into Krampus, a lot of times it's said that his origin comes from ancient pagan celebrations, and what exactly does pagan mean? Because I feel like this comes up a lot when talking about different folklore, different supernatural creatures, you know, different holidays and why they're celebrated the way that they are today. We talked about this in the All Hallows Eve episode, that there was a lot of pagan celebrations that inspired what Halloween is today, and the same is true for Christmas. Which is interesting because there are a lot of Christians today that don't feel comfortable celebrating Halloween, which is fine. I mean, it's not my personal cup of tea, but... Just interesting because the origins behind Halloween are very similar to the origins behind Christmas. So, pagan. What exactly does pagan mean to begin with? Pagan is basically holding religious beliefs that are in the minority. So, pagan is not referring to one type of religion. It can be multiple different religions. And it's a term that was used by Christians to refer to religions or religious beliefs that did not worship the God of Abraham. So basically, any religion that didn't line up with Christian beliefs, they would refer to as pagan, you know, even Catholic. So basically, any religion that wasn't Christian. (laughs) You know, and Christianity itself is not just one religion. It's basically an umbrella that has other religions that come below it. So Christianity, there's Christians, there's Baptists, Protestants, you know, it, it goes on and on. But basically, pagan was anybody that had a different religious belief or different religion that pretty much just wasn't Christian. Again, didn't worship the god of Abraham or any religion that worshipped more than one god or worshipped gods and goddesses. And typically throughout history, those that were referred to as pagan, that was not something that they typically labeled themselves as. You know, people were called pagan, but they weren't calling themselves pagan. Now, in modern times, though, it's actually more likely that somebody will refer to themselves as pagan. 
But historically, the Christians saw these religions or religious traditions of believing in more than one deity, believing in male and female deities. They thought that these people weren't worshipping God at all. They thought that they were in fact worshipping demons that were masquerading as different deities. Coming from the Latin word paganus or paganus, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. When I look at pronunciations for different words, they can really be all over the place, but I think it's paganus. And this word referred to an individual that lived in a rural district as opposed to living in the town. So basically an outsider, and that word became pagan, meaning outsiders of, you know, the traditional or accepted form of religion. So this word did come from Christians who thought that they had the truth when it came to the theological truth, and their truth was the right truth, and all others, you know, they lived in error, they lived in sin, and therefore they were pagans in their celebrations and traditions were considered demonic or sinful. The whole history of religion in general is just interesting. I mean, this term was even thrown around a lot towards Catholics because of their saints and different rituals they have. You know, they have a whole reverence towards different saints. And because of that, sometimes the pagan word was thrown at Catholics as well. It's interesting today when using the word pagan because a lot of people will actually use it to refer to themselves or to their religious and spiritual beliefs. They might refer to themselves as neo-pagan, which would just mean new pagan or modern pagan, and religions that would be considered pagan today. Some of them would include, for instance, Wicca or Druidism and others as well, but many will put that under the umbrella of neo-pagan or modern pagan, and this is done as an attempt to get away from that original use of the Christian term, which was not used with positivity or in an accepting light. And nowadays, people want to be accepted for their different religious beliefs as they should be. So getting away from that, I just wanted to do a brief rundown into that because I feel like we do get into religion a lot when talking about different history of creatures or whatever it is. It always seems to come into play. So I did want to just put that into this episode because it's also kind of interesting. But Krampus really came from these pagan ancient celebrations of the winter solstice. In the Northern Hemisphere, the winter solstice is that day that is the shortest day of the year, you know, the day that has the least amount of sunlight, the longest night, and it typically occurs between December 20th and December 23rd, and that's depending on the year, and that day is looked at as the start of winter. It's still done today. We still have the first day of winter occurring between those days. A lot of people celebrate the winter solstice, whether in a religious way or just by decorating their home in a different way, you know, celebrating the fact that winter is coming, doing something quote-unquote wintry in order to celebrate. But a lot of these celebrations in the past, historically, they were about the return of the sun. So while this day was the shortest day of the year, it would only be getting longer from that point out. So this would be cause for a celebration. No longer would the days be getting shorter and shorter. They would start to be getting longer and longer, which of course would be good for the harvest. And that was a big part of why this was celebrated back in the day. So let's get into what some of these winter solstice celebrations looked like and how these kind of created what we know today as Christmas and a lot of these creatures and figures and characters that play into these winter holidays that we're familiar with in modern times. So a Roman celebration that was popular was called Saturnalia, and that was a celebration in honor of the god Saturn, who is known as the god of agriculture, as well as the god of time, abundance, renewal, and some other things as well. But this celebration was to honor the previous harvest and to honor, again, the god of Saturn. It would take place starting around December 17th, and it would typically end on December 25th, so about a week of time. 
and the Romans at the time used the Julian calendar, so their winter solstice was actually on December 25th. So this celebration, Saturnalia, would be a celebration leading up to that winter solstice. It was a time where there was plenty of food and drink. Enslaved people were actually free during this time, and they were pretty much treated as equals, which I imagine must have been tough going back to their enslaved status after the week was up. But during this week, they were basically free to act as every other civilian. Businesses were closed. Schools were shut down. There was feast. There was even a feast that was done to honor children. Women dressed up as men. Men dressed up as women. Wild costumes were worn. Homes were decorated with wreaths, and there were gifts that were exchanged, a lot of them being tapered candle wax, and lighting this would acknowledge the light returning after the winter solstice. So that was a Roman celebration that took place long ago, but it does have a lot of inspiration around some of the things we do today for these winter holidays. They also celebrated the birthday of Mithra, who was the god of light, and that was celebrated on December 25th, which is the date of Christmas today. So noticing that date, some think that the Roman Catholic Church actually chose the same date for Christmas because they wanted to overshadow some of these pagan traditions. You know, looking historically at these early Christian traditions and celebrations, Easter was really the main holiday. It was the main celebration, and the birth of Jesus in general was just not celebrated at all. And it also wasn't mentioned in the Bible. So when December 25th was suddenly said to be Jesus' birthday, the day he was born, it didn't really add up. And many believe that his birthday was actually in the spring, and that this date was chosen because they wanted to find ways to kind of start replacing these pagan traditions. This was also done by the church by creating All Souls Day, which fell right around the same time as Samhain, which is a pagan celebration that inspired Halloween as we know it today. But it's thought that the church was really trying to kind of take over on these celebrations, create their own traditions, and dominate the calendar. So another popular winter solstice celebration of ancient times was Yule, which was celebrated by ancient Norsemen of Scandinavia. And this took place from the winter solstice, again that would be between like December 20th to December 23rd, and it would last through January. The Nordic people thought that the sun was a wheel of fire, and they thought that it rolled towards the earth during summer, and then it would roll away from the earth during winter and that's why there would be temperature changes and seasonal changes. So to prepare for winter and to celebrate this time of winter solstice, men would go out and they would bring home large logs known as Yule logs, and this was an entire tree that would be carved with symbols and covered in wine or ale as a type of offering. Part of the reason they did this is because during winter, they noticed that many of the trees would be losing their leaves and they would be bare, But there was a tree that didn't do this, and this was the evergreen, which is what we use for Christmas trees today, traditionally. So they believed that this tree must have some kind of magical quality, and the evergreen was deeply respected by these people. As a way to show their admiration for this tree, hunters would leave parts of animals they had killed with evergreens as an offering. And then evergreen branches would be cut and placed over doors and windows because they were believed to have the power to keep negative or angry spirits away. So again, they would set this big log, which was basically a tree, on fire, and once the log was fully burned, the celebration would be over, and typically this took around 12 days, which also gives some indication towards, you know, the 12 days of Christmas, but the ashes from that log would then be kept, and they would be used during the year for different rituals. They also believed that each spark that came from the fire would represent a new piglet or calf that would be born during the coming year, 
And this celebration was done to encourage optimism and inspire good luck as wintertime approached. Another celebration that's a winter solstice celebration, I thought this was interesting because I'd actually never heard of it, but the Zuni, a group of Native American people in the New Mexico area, would celebrate the winter solstice with a ceremonial dance called the Shalako. And also during this time, there would be fasting, prayer would be done, and for several days, the rising and setting of the sun would be observed, and this would lead up to the winter solstice. Once the solstice had arrived, the celebrations, including the dancing, would begin, and typically also masks were worn, and it was a time that was joyful. In Europe, they would oftentimes kill their cattle because they didn't want to have to feed them throughout the winter, but this meant that people would have a lot of fresh meat to eat, so this was a celebration that was done around the time of the winter solstice. In Germany, around the winter solstice, the god Odin was honored, as many Germans were afraid of Odin. They actually believed that he flew around at night to watch people, and then he would decide who would prosper and who would perish. So during this time, a lot of people stayed inside, and I would say this is really less of a celebration and more of a fearful <laughs> honoring, but it actually sounds a little bit like a character that we know today, you know, Santa. But okay, now let's talk some more about Krampus. So I was actually reading a book in preparation for this episode, and it was called The Scary Book of Christmas Lore. And they refer to Krampus as the granddaddy of all European winter holiday monsters, which I just thought was funny, so I had to include that. <laughs> Coming from the German word Krampen, which means claw, and he's certainly not the only monstrous creature that's associated with winter and Christmas time, but as we were talking about earlier, he does seem to be the most well-known, at least in the area I live in America. His tradition is most popular in Austria, in Germany, Hungary, Slovenia, Czech Republic, and some other places as well. And we talked about how he's generally depicted. He's depicted in many different ways. Uh, again, sometimes he looks more human than goat. Sometimes he just looks like the devil. Other times he just looks like this giant beast thing. <laughs> sometimes he has chains around him. Other times he does not. And many think that this Krampus character, because he came from such a long time ago, that when the Christians were trying to kind of take over with their own celebrations and traditions, they made his depiction seem more demonic. So he would be depicted with chains as if he's, you know, chained to the underworld, to hell, and he's trying to come up from that because they really wanted these pagan celebrations and traditions to become more demonized and looked upon as satanic and evil when really they weren't. But Krampus is effectively, or, you know, seen as this demonic creature that symbolizes the onset of the dark nights and the onset of winter. It's thought that the legend really came from the Alps and from the cold winters that were happening there, and it's thought that his origin really started with alpine tribes like Raetians, and then, you know, his story spread to different areas, and he became known in different countries. It's thought that he probably showed up at some point between the 5th and 10th centuries and probably showed up after the death of St. Nicholas. So St. Nicholas is the saint that inspired, you know, St. Nicholas, who many believe inspired what Santa Claus is today. And I'm going to give a little bit of background on him because many times Krampus and St. Nicholas are seen as a bit of a pair. So St. Nicholas was an early Christian bishop during the 3rd and 4th centuries. He was a bishop in an ancient Greek town, which is now present-day Turkey, and he was born into a wealthy family, but his parents died, so he grew up as an orphan, though he did inherit his parents' money, 
So when he was an adult, he became a priest, a very wealthy priest. He had a lot of money, but he also had a love and compassion for the poor or for those that needed help, and he would really work to try and help them. He would give money to those that needed it, he would help people out of tough situations, and he was basically known to have powers of resurrection. I'll give an example. So there's this legend that there were three boys who were playing in a field, and they wandered into the city, they got lost, they couldn't find their way home, and they were starting to get really tired and hungry, so they walked inside of a butcher's shop to ask if they could maybe have something to eat and a place to sleep for the night, and then they would try to get home the next morning. So the butcher was like, yeah, sure, come in, but then he decided to murder the three boys, and he put the remains into a barrel. It's said that St. Nicholas actually came to the butcher shop seven years later and saw the barrel and told the butcher to open it. Then it's said that he said, quote, rise up, children, and the boys were resurrected. Now, this story is told in different variations, but it's said that the butcher became St. Nicholas's servant, and many times when there's a depiction of St. Nicholas, he's often seen with three boys, and that's because of different variations of this story where he resurrected three boys. So, St. Nicholas was seen as this wonderful, kind person, and paired up with him, though, is Krampus. So, Krampus is like a counterpart to the nice St. Nicholas, so St. Nicholas became known as, you know, giving people things, and it got to the point where children would leave their shoes out during a night in December, and this was typically around December 5th, December 6th, and the next morning they would find little sweets or different toys inside of their shoes. But then Krampus also came along in this legend, and he was treated as a bit of a counterpart to St. Nicholas, you know, where St. Nicholas was nice, Krampus was not. St. Nicholas was giving, Krampus was, you know, taking away. It said that he would swat, quote, wicked children and then stuff them into a sack, take them to his lair or wherever he would be taking that sack or basket with the children. And December 5th is known as Krampus night because that's the night that he would come. December 6th is St. Nicholas Day, so that's when the children would look outside of their doors and see if their shoe or boot that had been left out had been filled with goodies of some kind. So December 5th is the night when St. Nicholas would come, but it's also Krampus night and the night that Krampus would come. So it would be one of the two. And you know, many times it's looked at as St. Nicholas came and then Krampus would do his own thing and he was kind of like the antithesis of St. Nicholas, but it's really not that way. They actually were known to kind of work together in this legend, right? So Krampus and St. Nicholas would be kind of a pair. You know, one would be the good one, the other would be dealing out consequences for negative and bad behaviors. <laughs> so there would be the one that would reward and the one that would punish. And again, December 5th, still today, is seen as Krampus night, and he kind of was paired up with St. Nicholas as part of his legend. Again, who is he? Where did he come from? We talked about where his legend may have started, but kind of where did he come from? There's a lot of people that say that maybe he's the son of the Norse god Hel, and this was a god of the underworld. She was the youngest daughter of Loki, who is another god in Norse mythology, and she was said to be a demon, and in the encyclopedia Mythica, she's described as, quote, horrible hag, half alive and half dead, with a gloomy and grim expression. Her face and body are those of a living woman, but her thighs and legs are those of a corpse, mottled and moldering. Ooh. <laughs> it's not the nicest description. <laughs> but many thought and still think today that this is where Krampus came from, that he was the son of hell, and so therefore he's this demonic creature. 
But according to mythology, there's never even a child mentioned for Hell, so it doesn't make sense that they would have a child and their son would be Krampus, so I think sometimes that's an association, but I don't think that that's maybe the most accurate one. In Greek mythology, there's a god named Pan, and this god is depicted as a half-man, half-beast, and has hooves and goat legs, so is this sounding familiar? <laughs> he also had goat horns and is the god of the wild, so shepherds, groups of animals, stuff like that. He's known for playing a flute. You know, he doesn't seem so bad, but the word panic that we know today actually comes from the word pan, which is the name of this god, so it comes from pan. And that was because Pan was known to cause humans to flee from him in irrational fear. So yes, he might have seemed okay, but there was also a darker side to Pan. Now, as we just talked about his depiction and a little bit about how he could cause panic and fear, the imagery there and some of the associations to Krampus are similar. So back in the day, historically, the church started to commission painters and sculptors to make depictions of the devil because they wanted his imagery out there. They wanted people to know what they were dealing with and, you know, if they stepped a toe out of line or if they sinned, you know, this creature would be part of their consequence. So when these painters and sculptors were trying to come up with what the devil would basically look like, they tried to think of different things in their head and many of them already had this imagery of Pan in their head because that had already existed. So a lot of them knew of Pan and knew of what Pan looked like. So it's thought that when they started to create this imagery of the devil, a lot of these depictions actually resembled Pan. So again, what I'm getting to with Krampus is a lot of these depictions are close or similar to the devil, but that actually comes from this god Pan because a lot of devil imagery is inspired by Pan, and therefore Krampus is kind of like down the line of all of this. You know, some people say that Krampus is actually just a Christian creation, that the Christians created him as kind of this evil part of Christmas celebrations because they were really trying to get rid of these pagan traditions. So they figured if they had this creepy association of Krampus, people would be less likely to want to celebrate in a certain style that didn't represent what the church wanted. I don't think that's the case. I do think that Krampus is a story that has come over time. Obviously, he's been revamped. He has different variations, but I do think that the origin of Krampus came from a long, long time ago, and I do think that a lot of the Krampus legend is associated with also that story of St. Nicholas visiting the houses of children and leaving gifts for them. You know, Krampus would come and he'd either hit the children, take them away. Sometimes it said he would leave rods in their shoes. <laughs> There was actually an article written in 1958, and it was written about Krampus in Austria, and it was said that he was known to deliver gold-painted birch sticks, because a lot of times when Krampus is depicted with his sticks, they're birch sticks. So the families, if they would get these gold-painted birch sticks, they would then take them and hang them on their wall as a year-round decoration and reminder for the children to behave, <laughs> which is a lot. So some think that Krampus came, you know, as far back as like the 5th century. Others think that he kind of showed up more around the 12th century, but I think he probably was around before then, but he just became more popular during this time. He probably started off small and gradually became more well-known because by the 13th century, the church was already trying to take him away. There was attempts to ban Krampus because he supposedly made the dark side of society look good. 
which is a little confusing because he was more used as a punishment or a consequence to not being good. You would think they'd maybe want to have him around, but they didn't. They thought maybe he was a little too enticing. You know, we do know that he inspired <laughs> many spicy romances today, so maybe he was just a little too seductive, so they had to get rid of him, and there were attempts at banning Krampus, and this was not the only time. He was attempted to be banned many times throughout history. But he became less popular for a bit of time while the church was in full force. And then in 1890, you know, the reins were let up a little bit and Krampus was kind of allowed back into the picture. And postcards were really popular during this time. So postcards of Krampus became very popular. You know, this was like a holiday kind of postcard that would be used and people had a lot of fun with it. A lot of times he was depicted as, you know, putting children into his sack and carrying them away or even beating a child, which is, uh, you know, dark, but they were really like almost comical, a lot of these postcards of Krampus. And they were meant to be taken lightly. Some people would even have the children getting the better of Krampus. And there was even some postcards that included people seducing Krampus and vice versa. So this particular characterization of Krampus really took off during the 1960s. You know, his postcard imagery and just images of him in general were still popular then. But this happened when the sexual liberation happened. And that was when there was a social movement that, you know, challenged traditional codes of behavior related to sexuality. So when that was happening in the Western world around the 1960s, this whole Krampus being this kind of like seductive creature really took off around that time as well. But yeah, so he was doing good around that time with his postcards, and unlike a lot of the other monsters and myths that are associated with the holidays, Krampus had a little bit more to back him up, and I, I do believe that this is part of the reason why he is still so popular today and why he has had a lasting effect on society. There was an event called the Running of Krampus in Austria, and people would dress up as Krampus. And this happened in other places as well on Krampus night, right? December 5th, which is still celebrated today. But they would run around, you know, they would put on these costumes, they'd wear these elaborate masks, they'd try to look like this Krampus creature. Again, they would run through the streets, they would run towards children, kind of almost scaring them. You know, it would typically be groups of young men, they would get into these costumes, they had these elaborate masks, they'd wear goat horns, and they'd basically just run through the streets with sticks usually birch sticks, of course, and sometimes even pitchforks. You know, typically, they were feeling good. They were <laughs> had a few, a few ales, and they would run up to people. They would tell them that they were misbehaving and that they were going to be punished, and, you know, they were going to beat them up, but many times they wouldn't. They would maybe lightly swat them with a stick. Sometimes, though, it did get out of hand, and people did end up getting beat up. But because of this happening, many children feared Krampus. And to them, it was like there was this proof that he existed because one night out of the year, there were people dressed as Krampus running through the streets and <laughs> basically threatening violence. So because of that, Krampus had a little bit more, you know, to back him up as this really scary creature, this scary character. So again, I talked about how he was banned back in the day by the church, but this happened in more recent times. You know, I use the word recent, but between 1934 and 1938, Austria was under fascist rulership by Austria's conservative Christian Social Party. So this was like right around the time of World War II, around the time of Nazi Germany. 
but this was like a little beforehand. And they thought that Krampus was absolutely despicable. He shouldn't be celebrated in any way. Krampus night should not be a thing. Nobody should be having anything to do with Krampus. I guess there were dances that were associated with Krampus, and they thought that those should be boycotted. He was really seen as a sin. So they didn't fully ban him by way of law, but they made it so that people felt uncomfortable having Krampus involved in any of their holiday festivities because it was really looked down upon. You know, these people that were ruling over Austria were mostly made up of very conservative Catholics. So this idea of this demonic creature being paired with the holy Saint Nicholas was just not something that they took well. Now, sometimes it's said that the Nazis were the ones that tried to ban Krampus, but this really isn't the case. The Nazis were actually known for liking a lot of pagan imagery as well as German mythology, so they weren't really a part of this, but it was around that time period. So after that was done and over with, Krampus did make a bit of a comeback, and then in 1953, when he was going strong again, the head of Austria's kindergarten system, this doctor named Dr. Ernest Kottbeier, Kottbeier, not sure if I'm saying that right, so I apologize, but he was worried that the fear of Krampus was going to damage children on a psychological level. He thought that this psychological effect would harm them for life, and he really felt that there was already too much fear in the world, and his examples of this were high taxes and unemployment, which really wasn't something that children were probably fearful of at that time. But he thought that if Krampus was given the boot, it would make Austria a much better place. And unfortunately for him, Krampus came around with his birch sticks anyways. And he was like, nope, I'm sticking around. I'm not going anywhere. People really didn't care what this man had to say. <laughs> and they wanted to continue celebrating him, which they did. There were other attempts at bannings. And basically all this did was make his legend stronger and more powerful. Because when people are told that they can't do something, when they can't celebrate something, you know, they have to stay away from something and ban it, what usually happens is it makes whatever that creature, person, character, idea, philosophy, whatever that is, it makes people more interested in it and want to participate in it even more. So by trying to ban Krampus, he really just <laughs> rose to more popularity. Now, he wasn't as popular for quite some time. I mean, after World War II, his popularity faded, you know, it was a devastating time, and the idea of Santa and his joy and merriment, people took more of a hold onto that, that became more popular. It does make sense. You know, Santa's cheerful, he's kind, he brings happiness, and at that time, I think people were more inclined to want to celebrate that side of the holidays. But when the 2000s rolled around and the internet started becoming popular, Krampus made yet another comeback, and he started to slowly come back into pop culture yet again. And of course, in 2006, there was yet another person who was concerned about Krampus, and this was probably because he was starting to become popular again. And this person was a child psychologist by the name of Max Frederick, who said that Krampus was, you know, another bad influence. He said the world was already aggressive enough, and Krampus just added into the violence. Now, a part of the reason he said that is because I talked about these Krampus night celebrations that were happening historically, but they were still continuing and they still do continue today. So on Krampus night in many countries, specifically Austria and some of the other countries we talked about where Krampus is more popular, people will wear wooden masks, cowbell chains, whips, and they might have on costumes or really just like look like Krampus and like how we think of him today. And they do this as an attempt to not only scare, but in a fun way. You know, it's not supposed to be bad. It's supposed to be in fun. 
They go around on the streets, and a lot of times they'll have, like, their eyes look like they're glowing red. They'll make these creepy animal sounds. They'll run towards young children, and they'll have their little birch rods, which sometimes they'll, you know, tap people with. And again, this typically happens in Austria. Sometimes it's done in Germany, Croatia, Hungary. And it's supposed to be in good fun. I could see where people wouldn't like that, and sometimes it does get taken too far people getting struck with a rod or a stick a little too hard or being chased and sometimes, you know, the ales are just flowing and people just get a little too into it and there's been, you know, altercations during these Krampus nights. So because of that, there's people that think that Krampus is a bad influence and that his celebrations shouldn't be happening and that was part of the reason behind the 2006 child psychologist who put out something saying that he was bad for children and brought more violence into the world, and I get the point that these Krampus nights, it's a little intense (laughs) to be running at children and, you know, even just tapping them with sticks, but it's really not different than what happens during Halloween with people dressing up in different costumes, a lot of them being scary, haunted houses, and stuff like that. I think that if the child is too young or is really, you know, that's not their scene, maybe just don't bring them to Krampus night celebrations, because honestly, it just sounds a lot like other celebrations that are already happening. So Krampus, for whatever reason, has been targeted, as I'm sure Halloween has as well, and other celebrations and things along those lines. But I just wanted to throw that in there because Krampus today is still going very strong. He's made his way over to America. Like I mentioned earlier, there's been movies with him. Even in the U.S., there's Krampus celebrations that take place. There's something in New England called the Krampus Society of New England, and they have a ball in Providence, Rhode Island. If you do a Google search on Krampus events in America, there's a ton that come up all over the country. But yeah, you know, that's Krampus, and he's not the only monster associated with the holiday times. There's so many other ones as well. One, for instance, is Bell's Nickel. So he's known in Germany. He kind of has that Santa look, except he's creepier looking with horns, and he also carries sticks. He's supposed to show up one to two weeks before Christmas, and that's in order to test the children and see if he should be rewarding them or punishing them. So there's tons of these legends, characters, creatures associated with the wintertime, associated with the holidays. There's a lot of them. Maybe I can get into them in a different episode, but Krampus does seem to be, at least here in the United States, the most well-known. So now it's time for some Did You Know? know? And this is the point in the episode where I share some random facts that are associated or loosely associated with today's episode. One, there's a lot of Christmas traditions, and one of them is mistletoe, which is when mistletoe is hung, and if you're standing underneath it with another person, you are supposed to kiss. Now, where did this idea come from? Mistletoe, which is a parasitic plant, and it's known as a parasitic plant because it clings to trees and feeds off of them. The idea of using mistletoe for what it's used for today is thought to come from Norse mythology, and there was this god named Balder. He was paranoid. He'd have visions of his own death. So his mother, who was the goddess Frigg, and his wife went around making every plant and animal promise that they wouldn't harm him. Basically, they wanted to make sure that he would be invincible to death. Because of this, Balder became known for his invincibility, but the god Loki was like, no, there's got to be a way around this. So he found the one plant that Frigg and Balder's wife had not made any vows with, and that was mistletoe. And he was able to make a weapon out of the mistletoe, and with that weapon, Balder was able to be killed. 
So when this happened, his mother was so sad, she was so upset, and she cried. And it said that the tears of her sadness were caught on the mistletoe's branches, and they turned into berries that resembled pearls, or some say that they turned into mistletoe berries, but they were basically a symbol of love for her son. It's also said that she declared mistletoe to be the symbol of love and to hang it over doors as a way to never forget Balder and to never forget love and that people should kiss beneath it in order to remember what Frigg and Balder's wife forgot. So it's thought that maybe that is what morphed into the kissing under the mistletoe. But there's actually a whole other reason why mistletoe might have been used. And this came from the Druids, and it's a tradition that was recorded by Pliny the Elder, who was a Roman naturalist, and I actually talked about him in my mermaid episode, but basically he would record different goings-on during his time. And he said that people believed when mistletoe was ingested as a drink, it made it so that barren animals would be able to be fertile. And when he was recording this and in his writings, he said that this was silly, and he didn't think it made any sense. But it does make sense that if it was used for this, it would be continued to be associated with love. The way that people kiss beneath it now is thought to have been started by British servants in the 18th century. (laughs) It's so that they stole kisses beneath mistletoe, and this idea of wanting the opportunity for a kiss really spread, and it started to be written about in literature in the early 1800s. Two. While Christmas is a bit confusing and there's not a lot of real evidence to back it up, you know, with the birth date of Jesus, Hanukkah, on the other hand, has history that's verifiable and is the reason for the celebration of Hanukkah. So Hanukkah commemorates the rededication of the Second Temple of Jerusalem. And this happened after it was desecrated on the orders of a king of the Seleucid Empire. And this king had been trying to destroy Jewish practices in the 2nd century BC. Now, there was a rebellion by the Jewish people, and eventually they reclaimed their temple, and it was rededicated. And when this happened, it was celebrated or commemorated by burning an oil lamp for eight days, and that was considered a miracle because the oil they had should have only been able to last one day, but it was able to last eight. Three. There are at least 24 different spellings of the word Hanukkah. The most used spellings, and I'm going to spell them out, are H-A-N-U-K-K-A-H and C-H-A-N-U-K-A-H. And there's a lot of different variations of those. Some only have one K or two Ks, you know, different things like that. And this is due to the translation between Hebrew, which is a Semitic language of the Bible, and the English language because there's really no, you know, standardized transliteration system. So because of that, a lot of different spellings of the word Hanukkah are used and they are also accepted. Four, in 1644, Parliament declared that December 25th should be a day of fasting and repentance, and it should be a day to atone for sin. And the reason for this is because they thought December 25th was not actually Jesus's birthday, so there was no need for celebrations. During this time, many people disagreed with this, you know, they wanted to celebrate Christmas, and this was coming from people that had extreme religious beliefs, such as, you know, Puritans, and many wanted to continue celebrating Christmas. People rioted, they protested, and eventually Christmas returned when the English monarchy came back, and King Charles II said, quote, let there be Christmas once again. Now, over in America, in Boston, the ban remained until 1681, so it was there for quite some time because, again, the people that made their way over to America were a lot of religious extremists. 
and bans against Christmas were eventually lifted again around 1681, which just meant that there were no fines allowed to be given out if people did celebrate Christmas. But a lot of people still didn't celebrate it because it was really looked down upon. And even if you wanted to celebrate it and you did and you weren't fined, people would definitely be judging you for it. So it was, it was a hostile thing. And Christmas celebrations in America took longer to really start up. So that is today's episode all about Krampus. And thank you so much for listening. And also, don't forget, be good, for goodness sake. Thank you for listening to Kind of Strange Podcast. Don't forget to follow along on social media at Kind of Strange PC on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love it if you could rate this podcast and leave a review. All sources for this episode are listed on the Kind of Strange website. The link is provided in the show notes. Until next time, don't forget to keep a lookout for anything that might be a little weird, a bit odd, or kind, kind of strange. Of strange.